hey, let's get a job. This week, we're talking illustration with... I am Maria Fabrizio, and I live in Columbia, South Carolina, and I'm an illustrator and graphic designer, and also a mom. So living in in, uh, Columbia here, how do you find the job market as an illustrator and designer? I think it's fairly small. Mm-hmm. So most of my clients are not local. Um, mm. And I think that just kind of happened organically. I think maybe 30% or less of my clients are probably local. Finding non-local clients is uh, kind of a trick. How do you go about finding non-local clients? It's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So probably seven years ago, maybe eight, I started my blog the Wordless News blog, and that got picked up by NPR, and I did a week-long collaboration with them. And then they started hiring me for editorial work, mostly like science and health-related stuff. And Mm -hmm. then from there, I think I just got a lot of referrals, and people were able to see my work because it was on a a huge platform. Um, And then it's just been sort of organic after that. I do have one service that I pay for and I have no idea if it's effective. (laughs) Um, I have this fear of asking art directors where they found me and I have no idea why, but I just don't ever ask. Really? Is it common practice to ask an art director where they found you? I think so. I don't think there's anything taboo about it. I just don't ever ask. (laughs) Um, But I do pay for this service called Agency Access and Mm -hmm. it's a little bit expensive, but they provide you with this huge list of like every art director, every designer, every publication, publisher, all that kind of stuff. And you can email people your work. You can send postcards and they'll do the mailing for you. So I don't know if I've gotten clients from there or not. But you're getting clients. So something's working. So something's working. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about Wordless News real quick, because that sounds like it was a huge launching pad to get you more into the national spotlight. Yeah. Can you tell me what that's about? Yeah. So seven or eight years ago, I just decided I really wanted to get better at illustration. And so I just decided to start getting up really early in the morning and reading the news and picking one news story and illustrating it every day just for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just doing it for my own and trying to get better. When you were picking the news stories, were you just kind of reading headlines and looking for something that sparked you visually? Or were you just kind of picking at random and saying, all right, this is it. I'm challenging myself to illustrate this. A little bit of both. I tried to pick things that I knew I could illustrate quickly, but Hmm. that were also challenging because I wasn't making any money off of it. It was just journaling or something or sketching in the morning. I kind of had to do it before I had any client work or deadlines. So yeah. It was just, it was sort of like going to the gym for my brain, hmm. my illustration skills. Yeah. It wasn't always fun, but. That's, that's interesting because it's kind of the idea. I mean, you're talking seven or eight years ago before, I would say the explosion of daily art posts from a lot of people or daily art challenges, like the letter a day, 36 mm-hmm. day challenge or something like that. A lot of those things are not really work in progress stuff that's posted. A lot of like daily things are intensely perfect. Did you feel pressure to have something be perfect and final versus just getting it out? In the beginning, I thought that it had to be perfect and the work wasn't as good. Uh, There were a few times when I would ask my husband, who's a creative director, like, what do you think of this idea? What do you think of this drawing? And anytime he gave me input, 
I would get mad and it wouldn't turn out great. <laughs> so I think over time, I just realized, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. And I, after the first year, I really had like a hard deadline of like 8 a.m. I'm done. It's over. Mm. I'm not changing it. It's either something people want to see or it's not. I'm proud of it or I'm not, but it's just done. The pressure of that deadline really helped me grow in conceptual thinking in ways that I don't think that I could have if I had been so worried about it being perfect. Mm. What would be the harder part then, coming up with the concept or illustrating the concept? Probably illustrating the concept because, yeah, I can look back at every single one of them and think, oh, I wish I could change this or I wish mm. I could change that visually. But if the idea was solid, then when it was posted and done, I felt like I could move on from it. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't happy with the idea, you know, I would maybe think about it a few more times during the day. But I found more freedom in it once I just allowed it to be like a visual journal or a sketchbook right. for myself and not, you know, something final that had to go on my website. It's such an interesting concept that it's not something final that goes on your website, but there's a finality in posting to social media. Are you balancing the level of portfolio quality work based on what you're posting online versus what you're posting to your professional site? Yeah, I think especially now, if I post something to Instagram or it's on my main website, it's usually either a wordless news that I feel like was finished and right, which was sort of rare, or it's a commissioned. And just like if you think about your analog sketchbook, or your tactile work, you know, you draw on your moleskin and it's not perfect, but like it's on the page. What are you going to do rip every page out that you don't like. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the flexibility of the digital platform gives you the illusion that everything has to be perfect. Um, but if you're just doing it for yourself, I think it can be just like a sketchbook and be practice. When you were talking about it, the analogy of comparing this to just like going to the gym, did you find, cause I'll be honest, I hate going to the gym. Um, it is the worst, but the idea of treating this like a routine, I guess, or like a ritual and giving yourself that 8 a.m. deadline, was that freeing or was that stressful? I think it was freeing. And I think that might not be true for everyone, but for me, it was like, you know, when you go to the gym and you work out and you kind of hate it and you're tired and you don't want to do it, but then when you're done, you feel so much better. Yeah. You know, it's over and you like your body feels better. For me, my creative spirit felt better because I had accomplished something. You know, I might still be working on some other project all day that wasn't finished for several weeks, or I might be doing some really boring billing or I don't know, just something that wasn't fulfilling. But if I could just feel like I had done that and accomplished it, even if it wasn't perfect, I felt so much better creatively. Well, I love your wordless news stuff. A lot of the ones that really stand out still resonate with news that's happening today, which I which I think just, you know, highlights the cyclical nature of where we are in the world. Were there any of the wordless news that you did that kind of took off that were unexpected when you're like, I don't know why, it just is? Um, yeah, I think some of the ones that were really silly took off and people loved and shared and found joy in, like I would try to do a lot of animals or just ridiculous stories. Um mm-hmm. When Ferguson happened, I did one in response to the police coming in and clashing with the protesters. That one, I mean, I remember I got up that morning and I was just upset, but I always try to be neutral, even though I'm not neutral in my feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So with the Ferguson one, I felt really emotional about it. I was like, you know, I'm just going to limit myself. I just got like black ink and paper, which I normally I do everything digitally. And I just drew this image with the hands up. And I think there's three figures at the bottom and there's like white stars on them, mm -hmm. like gunshots. And it kind of looks like the American flag. And that one really took off. And it's very different stylistically from all my other work. Yeah. That was sort of surprising. That one really stands out. Do you think that you were getting a bigger response to more of your personal opinions or your personal life that you put into the illustrations? Probably if there was more like raw emotion, yes. Hmm. I tried really hard to stay away from politics specifically, but I think when I felt really passionate about something, I think it came through in the work. Yeah. Can I ask you about some of the challenges that you were challenging yourself artistically to do? So in the beginning, I did a lot of work that was more vector-based. And then I realized that I was bored with that and it felt really tedious. So I just started doing a mix of things on paper and then scanning them in like ahead of time. So like on Friday afternoons, I would give myself two hours to just make random stuff and scan it in. And then I have this huge library that I could kind of pull from for textures and colors yeah, I just tried to challenge myself in drawing different people. Like, you know, in school, I don't think anyone told me you need to have like a diverse way of drawing people. You know, you do self-portraits and then you have the model that comes in drawing class, but like that wasn't ever diverse. So that was one thing that was important to me was trying to draw people who looked different from me learning to explore like do people always have to be like a skin color can they be purple or can you you know sometimes I'd wake up and I'd be like I feel neon today I'm just going to use that and make yeah. it work you know and um it didn't always turn out perfectly but I think sometimes in the back of my head I would just decide I'm gonna try something today and see if it works and um it wasn't always super planned out but there was always some limitation in my head because I was in such a time crunch too Right. So having those limits gave me the freedom to create something and experiment and not worry about whether it was perfect or not. Were these experiments translating directly into your client work? Yes, for sure. A lot of clients would pull stuff from wordless news and say, we like this, or we want this style, or sometimes they would just say, we really love this concept. Can you translate it, you know, with this figure or this specific content? It was always informing my work and I would go back to it and say, oh, okay, I learned how to do something on Tuesday. I'm going to try it for this project. It's due Friday. Yeah. I also think the time crunch, the the restraint was really helpful. And I didn't realize this until I started getting a lot of editorial work, but editorial work for the web, the turnaround is like a day. So being able to work really quickly became critical. I would imagine that the turnarounds are similar to just the writing for the web. I mean, if it's not posted the day that it's there, it's not relevant. Yeah. Like with NPR, usually I'll have maybe two days to finish something and then I have a project this week, but plus three days, it's not with NPR, but it's with another news outlet. You know, three days is like a really long time. You know, in order for these things to stay relevant with the, the speed at which they're being made, are you getting finished articles that are produced or are they just kind of giving you an outline of like, here's A, B, and C of what I'm trying to do. Hopefully they match with what the final article is. Yeah, it really depends. So sometimes a news outlet will just send me like a transcript, unedited 
could just typed out and it'll have all sorts of mistakes in it and just be like, here's what we talked about, figure it out. Sometimes it's a finished article. If it's not something that's time sensitive, it could be a two week sort of story that's not happening overnight. But a lot of times it's just like, here's what we think the headline is going to be. Here's the general idea of the story, figure it out. That doesn't really leave much time for revisions and things like that. Do you have to revise anything or is it just kind of like, here's my finished piece and they're like, great, run it. Um, It really depends on the art director. So I always send a sketch that's fairly rough, but then I'll write out underneath it. Here's the idea. Here's something color-wise. Here are the things I'm willing to play with or adjust. And I always am open to feedback. Sometimes it just means that I'm working until two in the morning or sometimes I do it once and they're like, great. And that's it. And sometimes I put in way more time than I should. And sometimes it just happens really easily. So there's not a a one-size-fits-all solution. From the business side of things, say you're working with NPR. Surely there's more than one art director at NPR. Mm-hmm. Are you creating contracts with each individual art director or is it just in general, overall, you have an umbrella contract with NPR that just says, I will do X, Y, and Z. Here's what we're agreeing upon. And then they're just dropping art directors at you. Yeah. So normally they have a contract and there's usually like a complicated system to get paid and you're sort of set to work with whoever because they're sort of setting the contract. Mm -hmm. And especially when it's a quick turnaround, it's not that I wouldn't be willing to make a ton of revision. It's just, I think the art directors might have one or two tweaks, but they come to you specifically because they feel like you can execute what they want. And so that makes things a lot easier. And there's not a lot of back and forth. If something's going to print, or it's going to be in a magazine, or there's a lot more lead time. Normally, I'll sign whatever contract is with that group. And I'll also say, you know, I'll provide you three to five black and white sketches, and then we'll have two rounds of revision after there's Mm -hmm. color. And then anything after that, I usually charge hourly, but that very rarely happens. When you're talking about that you're in the system with a company like NPR or whichever large umbrella company that you're doing work for, it seems like the only way to get work with those type people are to be in the circle of people who filled out the paperwork who are in the system. Getting in the system seems to be the biggest hurdle. Well, sometimes an art director will contact me and say, we want you to do this project. Here's the due date. Here's all the things you need to fill out. Mm. Um, it's probably best practice to fill all those out and read all the fine print and make sure you're in agreement before you go for it. Yes. Depending on the group or the person, sometimes I'll go for it and then fill out the paperwork and then you're in the system. So I don't think they have to choose from people in the system. I mean, NPR, I think, has a pretty set rate for everyone they hire. Some groups might not, but they're pretty standard. But I think that they go out and they might say, I like this person's work. Do you want to work with us? And then get them in the system. So I don't think you have to be in. It's more of the like business back end getting paid within 60 days, you know? Right. Do you ever have to struggle with getting them to follow the 60 days? Or is it pretty standard for people to be like, cool, if we got it, it'll happen? Depends on the size of the company. It's usually the smaller groups that are harder to get that payment to go through. And it's not because people aren't diligent. It's just one of those things. One of those things that smaller groups have less infrastructure in order to take care of this. Do you find it easier or harder to work with smaller groups versus larger groups? It just depends on the art director. Sometimes a smaller group will want more from you, but yeah, it just really depends on the art director. Um, Let me ask you about the art directors then. Do you get to have a say-so in any of the creative direction with the art direction? Or is it more that they're coming to you with, I want soup with a bird (laughs) eating it and it's got to be blue? I think it's very rare for an art director to come and say, we want X, Y, and Z. 
usually they know what your work looks like. They know your style or they have some ideas about what sort of style they want from you. I usually have pretty good freedom in figuring out what the concept their composition will be. Sometimes they'll come to you and say, I like this title sequence in a movie and I want you to recreate some section of it in a different style, you know, but that's kind of rare. I think they don't want to have to think about every detail. They just want to tell you what might need to be changed. You touched on this earlier with different styles, how in school, everyone wants to develop their style, their brand. But it sounds like developing your style and your brand is kind of limiting. I think it's important for it to keep evolving. You know, sometimes someone will come come to me with a job and say, we like this piece. And I did it seven years ago and my style isn't quite the same, but I can mix where I am now or where I was then. Or if they really, really love that, I can just revert and do it that way. I think when you have a really, really refined style, you probably go through waves of getting jobs, but knowing your audience is just so important. Hmm. That creates an interesting dilemma of when you're designing, are you thinking about what they want versus what you want to do and what's going to get approved? Or are you just kind of going and saying they're hiring me because they like me? So I think one of the things that I learned early on is that editorial work especially is not my personal creative outlet. Mm-hmm. I might love what I'm drawing. I might be excited about it. I'd say 99% of the time, that's how I feel, but it's not my personal opinion or expression. And so if you can take yourself out of the equation, like your fulfillment and just realize like you are working for their brand, they're writing their audience and take out your creative needs, it's usually much more successful. If you're not finding personal fulfillment in the work, how do you keep going? And not not saying that you aren't finding personal fulfillment in general, but obviously there are those projects where you're just like, uh, this sucks. How do you keep moving forward with that? You know, I think most of the time the fulfillment is there because I like the challenge and I like working with people and I like the conceptual exercise. And I don't know, I think my fulfillment comes from that challenge and not having to express some sort of angst or inner feeling. You know, I think I like the direction. I like having a prompt. I like having the assignment. I like learning. So for me, the fulfillment comes from there. And I don't know if that's just something I've like trained myself to do, or I don't know. I don't make a lot of like personal art, I guess. The fulfillment is the, is the challenge or the job. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, it's very different from being like a fine artist. I think it's usually your work is driven by emotion or feeling or I guess current events, but it's your perspective. And when you're working with a client, you get to kind of morph into their mindset. And yeah. Was there a client or a moment where you had that realization? For example, early on in my career, I spent months animating this cutscene for a video game and it got cut and I was devastated. But I had that moment of realization of like, well, still got other stuff to animate. Let's keep going. I don't know. Um, I think, and some of it is just being an adult and being really practical. Like if you're still getting paid, yeah, maybe it didn't turn out the way you wanted or maybe it got cut or it didn't get printed in the magazine, but you still did the work and showed up and you're still getting paid for it. So I think that's part of it too. It's just the practical, like got to pay my bills, got to feed my kids, you know? Can I ask you about paying your bills and feeding your kids? Yeah, sure. Um, Rate wise, are you more of a day rate, project rate, hourly rate? How do you determine your worth? 
I am a project rate hmm. person. I don't like to do hourly work unless it is absolutely necessary. I think um, a flat rate gives you the ability to work really quickly. And I find that I have more flexibility to be more creative if I need to and take the time. Or if working really quickly, I'm not penalized for being good at what I'm doing. Hmm. I, I love the way you said that, that like, obviously you get faster, the better you get. Yeah. So that's part of it too, is if you're working at a flat rate, yeah, some projects you're going to go way out of scope and spend way too much time like <laughs> drawing a cat or something. But most of the time, you know, if I was working hourly, I would only get paid for like two hours of work right. and my rate would have to be really high to make up for the other time. So and you'd never get hired at a high rate like that then. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that art directors and companies are more respondent to project rates versus other type of rates like that? Yes. Almost every client that I work with that is national or um, a bigger group has a set rate. And they'll say, here's our budget. And you can decide, like, can I work with enough to make that happen? Is it worth it? So I think most places offer you a flat rate for illustration. Do you get to negotiate that rate with their offering you a flat rate? You know, I don't usually negotiate it. There's been a few times in the last year where I've been like, should I increase? And I mean, you know, why don't I ever do that? But then there's been several times on Twitter where other illustrators who work with the same groups that I do um, have posted like, here's what I did. Here's what they paid me. And the pay is the same. Hmm. So I think everything's pretty standard. So I don't push back very often unless there's some extraordinary reason. When you started doing national work, was that rate surprising or expected based on what you were charging before? I know the first few times I worked with NPR, and I can just tell you what they pay. I think I charged them like 300 for an illustration. Okay. And after like six months, they emailed me and they were like, you should charge us more. <laughs> like, we're changing it to 400. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. And that's what they pay now. Some of the parts of the website, maybe like education or science, sometimes has a slightly bigger budget by like $50, but usually it's like a flat rate of $100. Mm -hmm. And for something like Oprah, if you're doing a full page spread, it's like $1,900 or something. It's pretty standard. Yeah. I don't usually push back. I don't know if that's good advice or not, but I think the rates are standard enough. I don't think pushing back is going to get you a whole lot. Did you ask NPR for back pay for those six months of $300? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. No. Um, no, it's fun to work with. I like them. Why did you choose to go the freelancing route versus something like a staff job or a studio job? I actually do both. I went out on my own to do freelance, I think in 2011. But after maybe like two years, a church that I had done the branding for needed like some part-time design help. And so I started working with them and I still work with them and I'm actually full-time. I have a salary and they have great benefits. When they asked me to come on full-time, I just said, you know, I also have this other full-time job where I freelance and I will do both if I have the flexibility to do both. That was our agreement. And I find it really satisfying to do both. I don't sleep and probably not healthy, <laughs> but I think I think that freelance can be stable enough to do it on your own. I think, you know, it's not that I couldn't do it. It's just, I liked that balance. And especially once we had kids, you know, it just felt more practical to have something stable all the time. I think doing the editorial work makes my work at the church better and vice mm. versa. Doing full-time and freelance at the same time. Yeah. Like you said, you're not sleeping. How do you balance that? Well, I think the freelance work is usually pretty quick. 
I think I'm just efficient at it. You know, I just try and do it early in the morning or sometimes I'm, I'm able to do it during the day. I don't know. I just kind of figure it out. And I think the church is really flexible and understanding most of the time. So mm-hmm. just got to get it all done. How do you manage keeping track of all of your billing and taxing and stuff like that? Um, I use FreshBooks for accounting. I have an accountant. I'm really, I really hate that part of it. I will say it's complicated. I just wish money didn't exist. I just, you know, like it's part of it where I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. But um, but yeah, I use FreshBooks and I have an accountant and I just, you know, I don't have a business degree. I have a master's in graphic design. So. Yeah, yeah. No, that, um, makes, that makes perfect sense. I mean, like they're good with money. Let them let them do it. Yeah, it's just budget to pay other people to do it. That's actually great. Though. Basically, when you're developing your own price range and scale and your budget to account for the things that aren't specifically art related. Yeah, the things you don't want to do. Yeah, for sure. I'm right there with you. Uh, my big advice for all these students is hire an accountant. They're smarter than you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been talking for about 45 minutes. So mm-hmm. I'm going to wind it down with a couple of uh, quick lightning round questions. Okay. What is something that if you didn't have to do or design ever again, what would that be? A palmetto tree. A palmetto tree? I Isn't charge it? extra if someone asks for a palmetto tree. Do you really? Yes. How funny. Are there many varying ways that the palmetto tree can be done or are you? No, I try to steer people away from them, yeah. but if they absolutely have to have one, I charge them more money. So you're not doing too many koozies and uh, things like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, what about on the flip side of the coin? What's something you've never designed before that like, if you got the chance, you would jump at it. Oh, I don't know. Um, sneakers. Sneakers. Are you a big sneakerhead? No, but I just think that'd be fun. Yeah. What type of sneakers are you talking about? Are you talking about like basketball end ones or skater shoes or? Mm, skater shoes. Yeah. Right. Like a van or a, yeah, a skater shoe. That would, that would be super fun. Did you paint your shoes as a kid? No, I should no. have. I should paint my kids' shoes. I'm going to just paint them and put them on the shelf. <laughs> um, all right. So now that you are wise and beyond your years, what's something you wish you knew back when you started that you know now? Um, I wish that I had known that I had the freedom to figure it out on my own Mm. and okay, this is going to sound really bad because you're their teacher. So don't take it personally. No, that's okay. That's okay. You know, sometimes you can get stuck when you get feedback from someone that you really respect and the feedback is hard or it's not what you want it to be. And you can feel really stifled by that. And I wish that I had known that actually is a reason to just work harder, you know, do what you want to do and and see where it takes you and not be so worried about, I mean, you want to make good grades, but it's not about school. It's about, you can figure it out on your own and you can grow in ways that you don't think you can grow or at least I didn't think I could grow when I was in school I think that's great advice honestly like regardless of me being their teacher or not (laughs) and for those listening this has nothing to do with your grade no it's it's you know I'm just one opinion that doesn't mean that they're good or bad as a designer it just means that my opinion is if I like it or not there are other opinions out there yeah Um, and even if it's not design I think knowing too that like you can take the skills you think you're going to use and change course and they're still relevant and you might end up somewhere you didn't think you were going to end up there's some joy in that yeah going off that do you have like a five ten year plan or are you just kind of looking for open doors and windows and seeing where they take you Mm, I don't have a five or ten year plan I feel like that's something that you should have but I don't have them I'm just being honest yeah no it's okay I don't have one either um yeah I think just um continuing to create and build relationships and make clients happy 
I think those are my five or ten year goals. Those are not business goals. Those are like dreamy art person goals. But uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, dreamy art person goals are, are I think the only good goals. Yeah. Yeah.